Lord, I thank you that you are here with us and that you've given us your spirit to live within us. So you're with us, you're in us, and you're for us. And I know that right now you're for me and you're for every person here. You're for us, not against us. We understand that there is spiritual opposition. Satan does not want us to hear this message. Even my own flesh resists you. Even my own flesh resists. But Lord, I want to yield myself to you right now, before you and before the company of these people. Offer myself up to you. I need your filling. I need clarity. I need power. We all need clarity. Open our eyes. And so as you're speaking to me, I ask God that you would also be pleased to speak through me in ways that your people would be encouraged, edified, and set free. You've given us your spirit to be our teacher, and we know full well that we are in need of being taught. So, Lord, have your way. Have your way in our hearts. Teach us. Enable us by your Spirit also to not only hear and understand the truth, but to see how you want these truths to apply in our everyday lives. So we present ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, who loved us and gave himself up for us. Amen. Well, I am going to go through this real quickly, but I want to start. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a storyteller, okay? I tell stories, you know, and I'm a story writer, so that's kind of what I do. And um, so I want to tell you a story just to get you thinking about your own life, really. But think about something you faced that was really hard. I mean, you knew. You were in over your head. Way over your head. Something real hard. Probably, if it's real hard, it was probably painful too. But certainly something you couldn't do in your own resources. Now, I'd like to ask you to think about a, an incident or an episode like that before you knew Jesus. Before you understood what it means to walk with him. And then, you know, think of another incident that happened in your life that was really hard after you'd known Jesus for a while. So I'll go first. My mom died when I was 13 of cancer. She left behind eight children and an alcoholic father. I told you a little bit about him last week. And that was hard. And I, I, I just... To speed up the story, I won't go into all the details of why that was hard, but you can imagine it was really hard to lose your mother at 13, and my youngest brother was two years old, and eight children. And it was just tough, real tough. When it got tougher, my dad did try to keep us together, but um, it was tough for him, too. So when my mother died in July and when the school year began, because of the time of the morning that I was departing to go to school, um, it was my job to 
get my little brother dressed and take him next door to a lady who very kindly offered to take care of him during the day. She had a daughter that was his same age, just two, two and a half years old. But my brother Tim, or I called him Timmy at the time, just didn't understand, of course, what had happened to his mother. He couldn't comprehend what, what happened. And I would dress him and take him by the hand, and we'd walk next door. And while we'd be standing on the porch, I'd ring the doorbell and wait for the lady to come to the door. And, and Timmy didn't want to go in there. He, he, didn't, he did not want to go into, in, the, in the house. And, you know, there, and I had no other option than to try to just push him behind the screen door when she opened it. And he'd be crying with these big crocodile tears rolling down his face. And I had to push him inside the door, and I'd still hear him crying as, as she walked him into the house. I could hear him. And this went on day after day, every day, every week. And it was hard every day to stand there on the porch. And I remember my little brother grabbing a hold of my legs, wrapping his little arms around me, my legs, like steel cords, and he didn't want to let go. And I tried to explain to my little two-and-a-half-year-old brother, Timmy, I have to go to school. And I remember him looking up at me and saying, I go to school, too. I go. I go with you, Jimmy. I go. He didn't want to go inside the house. He wanted to be with me. But I had to peel his little arms off of my legs and push him behind the screen door, hearing him crying. And that went on every day. And every day, I would make my way down to the school bus stop, and I felt so mean. I felt like I was being so cruel to my little brother that this was my fault. And I remember... I would be walking down the road just crying. And I knew I couldn't show up to to the bus stop looking like that. So somewhere along the line in those days and weeks and months that went on just like that every day, I somehow determined to stuff it. Just stuff it. I just, I didn't do that purposely. It just came over me. I had to do something. I had to. But every day, I go through that, standing on that porch. So I'm going to pick up the story a little later on. But I'm going to leave you standing there with me on that porch. And as you're standing with me on that porch, I have a sense that you've been on that porch yourself in some way, somehow, through some of your own impossible situations. I'm going to tell you about a story of another time that was impossible. And by this time, I'd known the Lord for Maybe 20 years, I guess. 
Anyway, I was a pastor at a little country church down the road at Deer Island. And the church was a little country church, you know, kind of a sleepy little place. Full of, you know, not full. It was about, I think, 17 people when I came there. So it wasn't full. But it was, you know, a friendly bunch. But most of the people were elderly, you know, my age. <laughs> Septuagenarians in their 70s or in their 80s or whatever, you know. But they were, most, almost all the people were older. And it occurred to me one day, see, I hadn't gone to seminary. I just wound up becoming the pastor, and I guess they must have been hard up. But anyway, I wound up there. And one day I was looking across my sleepy little congregation, and suddenly it struck me. Funerals. What if somebody died? I don't know how to do a funeral. I'd never done a funeral. Hardly ever been to a funeral, except for my moms and my dads. But I... I didn't know much about how to do a funeral. The last thing I wanted to do was mess up somebody's funeral. I thought, oh man, am I am over my head. Well, not everybody was a septuagenarian in, in the church. There was a 17-year-old boy named Adam, Adam Werner. Now, Adam was a real true country boy. I mean, Adam was a... You know, he's a hard-working young man, just loved God. He was my one and only, uh, he, was, he was my youth group. I met with him individually before the church service. So anyway, Adam was a wonderful guy, and he, he was strong and sturdy guy, and he could, you know, at summertime he'd be out baling hay and throwing big wet hay, hay bales up, you know, just slinging them on up to the truck, stacking them up on high. Next morning you'd see him with his big strong arms just gently hugging a little old lady. And just, and he was just that kind of guy. He was strong and he was tender. And he was a state champion archer. Two years running, I used to brag about him. Adam put Deer Island on the map. So that was, that was Adam. And he loved the Lord, and he was trying to reach out to his friends. He had a, just a passion for Jesus. And that was just so, so cool to see. He's just a delightful guy. One day I got a phone call from our area director's wife, and she said, Adam's been in an accident at the summer camp in Central Oregon. And his mom is at home, and his dad has been called, notified. He's on his way back, you know, from Astoria, but um, you need to go up there. And I didn't know what the, accident, the nature of the accident. She didn't know either. It just, I just knew that there was an emergency at hand. I needed to go up Canaan Road. So I get there, and his mother, Linda, is frantic. And I didn't know any more than she did, so I didn't know what to, really to say except that I prayed. And every time a vehicle would come up Canaan Road, she'd hear, it, uh, hear the wheels of the truck or the car, and she'd dash out the door thinking it was her husband, Roger. And she did that several times. But one of the times when she went out, the telephone rang. And it got further word. Adam had died by drowning. 
And now I had the news, the news that I needed to tell his parents. But here's another part of the story. Three years before that, Adam's older brother had died by drowning in the Columbia River. And I had that news to hold on to. So finally, Roger's truck did rumble into the driveway, and she was out there. And I went outside, and they were just embracing. They didn't know. She didn't know yet. And I knew that that's when I needed to tell them. So I walked very, very slowly toward them, feeling like I was stepping on my own heart with every step I took. And I had to speak the most painful words I'd ever uttered. That God had taken Adam home. And you can only imagine the painful, shrieking cries of both parents. And I knew that that was a moment right then that they needed to share alone. So I stepped back. And I wept alone for them. As in way over my head. Impossible. And what's more, I didn't know how to do a a funeral. Now what am I going to do? Well, I did what (laughs) you have to do. You cry out to God. You lean entirely on him. There's nothing else you can do. And that's what I did. And over the next coming days before the funeral service, I prayed, I sought the scripture, I read the scriptures, and then God gave me a verse one morning. I'm just going to paraphrase it, not to take time, but it's in Psalms. And, and David is saying, You know, my hands, my arms are trained for battle. I can bend a bow of bronze. Thy greatness has made me strong. And I thought, that's it. That's it. That was Adam. State champion archer. He was strong. He was steady, and he was gentle for the release. And so I knew that this was the verse that God had given me as the, you know, the, 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 for the service. I was going to speak around, and I, I was excited. And I went downstairs, and my wife Linda was busy working on a bulletin for the, for the service. And she was writing something, and I read this out loud to her, and I was so excited. And she just looks up at me, and she says, well... That was Adam's life verse. His mother called me this morning and gave it to me. I didn't know that. God knew that. God was in it, in the impossible. And so the service really went well. There are actually many students, friends of of Adam's at St. Helens High School who came to the Lord through that, that service when I shared the gospel. 
they all knew they had seen the sermon in Adam. <laughs> they didn't hardly need a sermon, but I did share the gospel. They'd seen that sermon so they could hear it. So that was the hard time. I've had many other hard times, and I know you have too. You've been in impossible situations. I'm going to get back later to one with my little brother. But like I said, apart from him, I can do nothing. I couldn't have done that, that impossible message, and I can't do this one apart from him. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the point. That's the point. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, I want to just share a little kind of a theological lesson, if you want to call it that. There are three tenses to our salvation. Three tenses. There's past, present, and future. In the past, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. So we are free. We are free from the penalty of sin at the cross. He freed us from that penalty. He took the penalty upon himself. Present tense, we are now being free, being freed from the power of sin. We are being freed from the power of sin. One day we will be set free from the very presence of sin. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We're being set free from the power of sin. And one day we will be set free from the very presence of sin. We have been justified, past tense, at the cross. We are being sanctified now by the Holy Spirit. One day we will be glorified with him in heaven. Justification, sanctification, glorification is seamless. It doesn't seem that way, but it is. Our salvation is a full package, and we get all of it for free. It's a free gift. So that's why we're talking about where we're at today through the rough stuff and through maybe the calmer moments, but we need him every hour. We need him. We depend on him. We cannot live the Christian life apart from his power. Now, granted, we sometimes try. <laughs> you know, we, we are like, you know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. You know, he says, you know, I, I, I want to do what's right, but I don't do what's right. In fact, the thing I don't want to do, I do. You know, so I really want to do what is right. But I find this principle or this law in my members, the one who wants to do good, by the way, I find a law in my members that when I want to do what is right, I don't do it. And when I don't want to do what's wrong, I do that anyway. Now, he's speaking in general terms here. But, you know, can anybody identify with any of that? You know, the old Apostle Paul, is he the only one, the only Christian that's ever had that struggle? No, except for Charlie. <clears throat> But anyway, so that's the problem. See, here, here he is. He's, he's thinking, he's saying, I, can, I mean well, and I'm going to do everything I can to resist this law in my members, this law of sin, like the law of gravity. 
It's a law. It's a physical law. And what, what, does it re, what does it require for a physical law to be considered a law as opposed to, say, a theory? Well, it needs to be constant, gravity. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be universally true. And it needs to be experientially verifiable. So that's true of gravity all over the earth. You go to Beijing, China. You go to Warren, Oregon, Scapoos, any place else. It's a law. Gravity is a law. And I'm feeling right now the strain of a little bit of gravity. Now, in that, with that law of sin in my members, I can feel that too. Certainly, some, from time to time, it gets pretty intense. And I don't want to do what I should do. I want to do what I you know, shouldn't do. And I don't do what I should do. And so there I have it. I got this, you know, sin is a law. It's not something that just happens periodically when somebody's treating me bad. It's just a law in my nature. And so it's this downward pull. Now, we're not inclined by nature in the flesh to be drawn to God. We are, in fact, drawn in the flesh away from him. We, and, and the more you try to resist sin and behave yourself for a little while, you'll notice it becomes a strain. You begin to start to feel the pain of it. And eventually, that person that's given you just so much trouble, might even be yourself, you just feel that downward pull, that downward pull. Here I am. I'm a good Christian. I'm trying to minister. I'm trying to behave myself. I've got the downward pull. I've got the downward pull. And I start to feel the strain. Now, you've got to kind of keep up the image, don't you? So you try to fake it, you, you know, but you're not going to tell anybody about the downward, about the strain, you know. And so we kind of crazily think that by now, I mean, I came to Christ in 1972. So that's, what is that, 50 years? You think that by now, well, that my flesh would be a Christian flesh. You know, I would have gotten converted by now. Well, that's what religion might want to suggest to you, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The downward pull is always there. So, we have been set free from the penalty of sin. Now, we've got another surprise, another gift that was won for us by Jesus at the cross. We have the Holy Spirit to live within us, to set us free from the very power of sin. So that's what we, we want to pick up with. So I kind of did a little bit of. Um, I, I'm going to ask those who weren't here to do a little bit of your own homework. And I'm hoping that, you know, for those who were here last week, you did a little homework yourself. Just kind of reading through this and saying, well, what does this say to me? And that's what I'm saying. You know, not, not what does this say to you? It's what does it say to me? You know, so I'll tell you what it says to me, and you can eavesdrop on that if you like. But so we left off last week. We, we went through the, the present danger. We all know about, you know, that's on, on page six. Um, the, the present danger is sin. That is that that constant. And I tried to illustrate it here um, with, with the, this, the law of sin in my members, the downward pull away from God. That's what, you know, the, and the problem, the problem of the, the downward pull, this, this force of sin, this law of sin, that's what causes me to commit sins, sins in the plural. 
You've got the problem of sin, which is the downward pull away from God, the rebellion, if you will, and a transgression, all that stuff. That you've got the, the law, the principle, this is the way I act, and then it shows itself in various types of sins. Now, we all have our favorite ways of sinning, right? So we're inclined toward certain things. Some people are inclined toward anger. Some people are inclined toward worrying about everything. Some people are inclined, you know, to be critical or gripe about things all the time or whatever it is, gossip, and, you know, on and on and on it goes. So we all have the problem in one way or another. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the present danger, now I went over this last week, just about the problem of sin. And in Galatians, Paul addresses that to Christians. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, if you'll see that, we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. Paul says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Do you think that Jesus went to the cross just to give you forgiveness, which he did, to pay the penalty for your sins, and then said, okay, now you're on your own. You just figure it out. Just keep grunting and groaning and huffing and puffing until you make it, right? Fake it till you make it. You know, when I was in, uh, a kid, I didn't know how to swim. I used to ride my bicycle to the swimming pool with my friends, and they'd all taken swimming lessons. I didn't. You know, I didn't know how to swim. But they wanted me to go in on the deep end of the pool. And I wasn't going to go into the deep end of the pool. I didn't know how to swim, but I couldn't tell them that. So I was kind of a scrappy little guy. So I would stay on the shallow side where the rope, you know, is on the other side of the rope. And I'd just be touching bottom with my hands. And I'd be going all day long. And I was obvious probably to everybody else what a little fake I was. But that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to just fake it. Just fake it. Just stay on the shallow side of the pool. Well, you and I both know that God won't let you stay on the shallow side of the pool. He's going to get you. You will be in over your head. And it's either sink or learn how to swim. And that's what he's teaching us how to do. He gives us the power by the Holy Spirit. So he, 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 he enables us to not just get sunk and drowned in our sin. He lifts us up. He gives us the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us. And so our sinful nature desires all kinds of things. What's contrary to the Spirit? I'm reading in Galatians 5.17. And the Spirit... Is, is, and the spirit is contrary to the sinful nature. I mean, think of that. Think of that. Just let your mind dwell on that for a moment. My, my flesh resists God. Not just mine, but I think yours does too. And the spirit is worrying in, to, to get uh, the, the control in my life, the rightful control that Christ won for me, but the spirit is, 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 is warring against the flesh. So, you could say, therefore, I have this resident antichrist within. <laughs> That's not a very fun thing to think about, but it's a fact. There's something in my nature that just resists, you know, it resists God. And so, now what we'll find out and what we'll see is that God has also given us a will. We can choose which way we want to go. Wherever you are spiritually right now is where you've chosen to be. It could have been choices that you made just because you didn't know any better. That's possible. Or maybe you do know better and you still did it. You know, you still wind up back in the same old, same old. 
So there's three kinds of lifestyles. A self-centered life, a Christ-centered life, and another kind of self-centered life. Christians, when we are not relying on the Holy Spirit, can act a lot like non-believers and probably even worse in some respects. When we're just trying to do it in our because we're frustrated. You know, we actually know better. So, Paul said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, he was talking, he was writing to a church that was in, you know, constantly in, you know, squabbles. You ever been in a church squabble? (laughs) They're not much fun, are they? And you know how easy it is to become a part of the problem? You know, how you can get drawn into it yourself? You know, oh man. So, now let's get to the better side of the story, okay? I don't want to get too personal around here. But the intimate journey, walking in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit, we increasingly experience intimacy with God and enjoy all He has for us. Walking in the Spirit, moment by moment, it's a lifestyle. It's learning to to depend on the Holy Spirit for His abundant resources as a way of life. And I, I think I might have said this or emphasized this last week, but I'll say it again. You know, we learn about walking in the Spirit in the context of everyday life, just the stuff of life. I mean, you learn about it in a church gathering, you know, like this. You can learn these truths, but the application of it has to do mostly, sometimes in the church, of course it does, but, you know, where you live and move and have your being in the course of life. Sometimes it's those really, really hard things But a lot of it's just stuff, ordinary things, the day in, the day out. Walking with Jesus, like walking, learning to walk as a child, it's going to involve some stumbling, you know, tripping over your own feet. You know, it's just, it's just because we're not perfect. We don't learn in a perfect way. So, but we can learn from our sins, our mistakes, and the Holy Spirit is good enough to show us, to help us with this, but always to lift us up again. So as we walk in the Spirit, we experience intimacy with God. And he, well, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, what, what, what we bear as a result of walking in, in Him, trusting, obeying Him, the fruit of this is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So self is brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. So we see this diagram on the other side. It represents faith, is trusting God and his promises. The person without Christ... Christ wants to come in, signified by the by the by the um, 
a cross outside this person's life. Self is on the throne. That person welcomes Christ into their life. Jesus is knocking at the door, wanting to come in. But you know, he never comes in by intrusion or invasion. He only comes in by invitation and by consent. You know, I mean, this is the way God works. He doesn't just barge in. He doesn't force himself in. Even when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to be with child. When did she conceive? The moment she consented when she said, be it unto me according to thy word, O Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. When, when she consented. And that principle is true throughout our Christian life. Jesus didn't come into your heart either, apart from your consent. And every step of Christian growth has to do with our consent. When we say, you know, Lord, I mean, just to, to say it simply, you've seen how I've been running my life. Now let's see if you can't do a better job. I just, I yield to you. I just give it to you. And that's just in the, the ordinary stuff. Not to mention the times when we are so far over in so far over our head that it's just obvious that we have to do this. It's actually easier to yield to the Lord when you're just in an absolute, you know, disaster than it is the day to day. So faith in God, trust in Him, trusting in His trustworthiness. Trusting in his trustworthiness. If he's not trustworthy, there's no sense in trusting him. But just trusting. Trusting in his trustworthiness. Now, this is a concept that can be helpful to help, to help us to understand. Spiritual breathing. How can It can help us to experience, moment by moment, this dependence, this invitation for the Holy Spirit to do his work in and through us. Start with exhale. Confess your sins. Confess your sins the moment you become aware of it. Now, the Holy Spirit's good about helping us to see that. But, you know, Satan is awful about it, though. And, you know, you know the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin and Satan's condemnation or his accusation. Do you know? Can you tell the difference? Well... In a nutshell, here's the difference. The Holy Spirit, when he convicts of sin, he doesn't dump the whole dump truck load on us. I mean, there might be a dump truck load, but he doesn't dump the whole load. He always convicts specifically. Specifically. And he always points to the solution. He always points to the blood of Jesus that we take for the forgiveness of our sin. And then he'll also point us to the Holy Spirit so that we will yield to him for his control in that area or whatever that is. But Satan, when he comes along accusing, he is the accuser of the brethren. He comes pointing the finger and there's no solution though. There's no solution. It's just, you know... Just keep covering it up, slapping on figurative fig leaves, if you will. Justify yourself. Blame somebody else. 
you know, on and on and on it goes, using figurative fig leaves. And, um, you know, the problem with fig leaves is that they always wear out. So you've got to keep slapping more on them, on yourself, just like excuses and personal justification and all the defense mechanisms that we have that we've gotten pretty good at using. But those things do wear out, and eventually we keep listening to the voice of our adversary and now come into agreement with our adversary. And by the way, the word to confess means to agree with, to say the same thing as literally, but to agree with. So we've now come into agreeing with our adversary. And what happens then is you begin to beat yourself and flog yourself and punish yourself for your sin. You're agreeing with your adversary. And if you're in agreement with your adversary, that puts you automatically in disagreement with your advocate. Now, how much sense does that make? But our advocate has one plea and one plea only on our behalf. My blood. My blood. You are cleansed by my blood. Now, when we come into an agreement with that, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to confess or agree with two things here. One, that I have sinned, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. That was wrong. That was not a good, wrong attitude. Words came out of my mouth. This, blah, 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 you know, on and on. I've sinned. But you must also agree with your advocate that you're forgiven. You must. Because if all you do is confess your sins and there's no forgiveness in sight, you're still agreeing with your adversary. And the Holy Spirit who convinces us, convicts us of sin and convinces us that we are forgiven will always point to Jesus. He didn't come to glorify himself. He came to glorify Jesus. He points us to Jesus. He'll point us to the bedrock, to the finished work on the cross on our behalf. So we're back on square one again, right where we belong. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we now, in agreement with him, we come into agreement. We exhale by confessing our sin in the moment uh, that, that we're aware of it, the moment that the Lord might bring this to our minds, agree with God concerning it, and thank him for his forgiveness, according to 1 John 1, 9. Now, confession requires repentance. That's a turn. It's like, okay, I got forgiven. Now I think I'll go do it again. Well, yeah. So how's that been working for you? So, but it's a change in, in, in attitude and action. It's to turn from ourselves to God. Repentance isn't just stop doing the naughty thing you've been doing. Repentance is the reason why I was doing it in the first place is because I was in the flesh. I was just, you know, whatever I was doing. So turn from your, your flesh and say, man, I don't even, I can't put any confidence in my flesh. It has proven to itself to be so utterly unreliable all the time. Why would I keep trusting in something that's utterly unreliable or somebody, namely myself? But I trust in him for his forgiveness, and now I trust in him for his empowering. So I inhale. 
I surrender control of my life to Christ. And I rely on the Holy Spirit to fill me with his presence and power by faith, just trusting in his faithfulness, in his promises. According to his command and promise, he did command, by the way. He didn't make it optional to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, he says, Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. And the, the actual tense of that verb, be, to be filled, is be being filled. Moment by moment, situation by situation. That's the way life unfolds, moment by moment. It, you know, you get just one heartbeat at a time and one breath at a time. That's the way life unfolds. That's how we're kept alive. Same thing is true spiritually. Moment by moment, situation by situation. You can just breathe it and say, Lord, I blew it again. I'm tired of that. But I'm coming back to you again. Now, the more we do this, the more we say, you know, I'm just going to depend on him. I'm going to spend more time with him. I, I can't wait until the emergency happens. You know, I've got to spend time with him and just seeking him and yielding to him and worshiping him. So how, do we, how, is, how does the Holy Spirit fill us with his power? We're filled with his spirit by faith, just by faith again, trusting in his faithfulness enabling us to experience that kind of, and even want to have this in intimacy with him. You know, when you just see how faithful and how kind he is, and think of this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that the Holy Spirit actually treats us in that way, with love and with joy, and with peace, and with patience, and with kindness, and with goodness, and with faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is filled with the Spirit. You know, does that make sense? The Holy Spirit has the fruit of the Spirit. And when His Spirit, who lives within us, has the control, He will, he will exhibit the fruit in us. We don't muster something up inside of us. I just got to get this fruit of the Spirit going, you know? See if I can't work it up somehow, some way. Well, you can't do that. It's impossible. He does that. We, and He does that as we simply yield control to Him. So, the essence of the Christian life, now listen to this. The essence of the Christian life is what God does in and through us. In us and then through us. In and through us. Not what we do for God. Now, we do get the cart before the horse, you know. We tend to think, if I just abide in the work, you know, things will go well. Well, nowhere in scriptures does it tell us to abide in the work. It says, abide in me, Jesus said. Abound in the work. You can, as you abide in the work, you'll, you can abound in the work. But don't get that mixed up. We do get that mixed up so many times. We try to abide in the work, meaning we're trying to maybe validate ourselves by the work, the, the ministry, or some other things. It's not just Christian work. It's just anything that you do. You want to, and, and there's some fishy idea behind all that, that we're trying to maybe get some validation out of the work. Well, I know from my personal experience in ministry that ministry can be a very demanding mistress. Yeah, more bricks, less straw. 
And it can be very demanding if you're trying to get your validation from ministry. Because if you give to it anything, you give it the power to validate you, you've automatically given to it the power to invalidate you. (laughs) So you're never, ever going to make it up that slippery slope. It's a real hard thing. It's subtle. But the same thing can be true in, in marriage or anything and everything else. Whatever you give the power to validate you, you've given it the power to invalidate you. And there you go, slipping down the slope again. Well, thankfully, the Lord knows us, and he's there to catch us when we come sliding downhill. And he'll pick us up and rebuild again. He's so kind. I think I've learned more from my failures, at least I hope I have, than any of the things where I think I'm doing really great. And so, um, it's, it's Christ's life reproduced in the, in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, to be filled just simply means to be empowered, to be directed, and, by the way, satisfied. When you're filled, you know, when you had a good, healthy meal, you're filled, aren't you just satisfied? And so... We experience God's power through the Holy Spirit. And this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That he would strengthen you with, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And there's three important questions that we need to ask ourselves. And this is an honest question. Am I ready now to surrender control of my life to our Lord Jesus Christ? Am I, it could be another way of saying it. Am I sick and tired of being sick and tired? Or just am I ready? How do I know if I'm ready? Am I ready to confess my sins? Am I just ready to say, I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And it's not working all that well. It's just gotten kind of into, it gets to be a grind. Jesus said in John 15, he said, when he was talking about abiding in him, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be made full. You know, Jesus really does enjoy living in you. And he wants, to, he wants you to enjoy. I mean, that's what is, the whole thing is. In Romans chapter 14, Paul says, this is the kingdom of God. It's not eating and drinking and all this, stay away from this and stay away from that and jump through these hoops and so forth. He says, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian life. That's it. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. You'd be amazed at what you can do willingly and gladly when there's joy. And there's no greater joy than seeing sin that has bound you, maybe for years, bad habits or maybe attitudes and so forth, and just having freedom. When you've been set free, you know, there's joy in being set free. But every single person in here is a unique human being. A person that God has made in his image to express his likeness in a way that he cannot express himself in the same way through anybody else but you. You're one of a kind in all of human history. 
So you could say that when you come to Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you get promoted. You get promoted to being yourself. You really do. You get promoted to, so the joy that is in you and is expressed through you, that's, this is what he's after, is to restore. That's another aspect of our salvation. We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. You know, we've been, he is now restoring us so that the image, the original image, the life of Christ can shine through us in the way that he created us in the first place to exhibit and express his likeness. Now, that's a, that's a promotion. Yeah. And so you... So the question is, you know, when you think about what God has to offer, and then you think about what's been dragging you down and keeping you what he has to offer, the question now makes a little more sense. Well, am I ready? <laughs> well, what does it take to get ready? Am I ready simply to say, have thine own way, Lord? I just give it to you. This situation that's been bugging me, just break it down. Specifically, this situation where I've been failing, this situation where I'm still really, you know, i got this grudge and I'm really still pretty mad about that thing. Am I willing to just confess that, just agree with him, and agree with him that I'm forgiven, and agree with him that he's willing and able to empower me so that I don't have to be a victim the rest of my life, I can live in victory? You know, are you ready for that? <laughs> what does it take to get ready? So, and then do I sincerely desire to be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit? He will not come in by intrusion. I mean, he's in you already, but he won't take over. He waits for invitation always. But he does command us to be filled why? Because we can't do this on our own. It's got to be a command. He'll tell us, but we can disobey the command. We know that. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit, moment by moment, situation by situation, one breath at a time, one heartbeat at a time. Just be filled. Let the Spirit control you. He will set you free. He will set you free. And so... Um, God promises he'll always answer when we pray according to this will. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, well, we know it's his will because he commanded us to be filled. If we know it's according to his will, we know that we have the request which we've asked of him. And so it's just a promise. He, just, he wants us to trust him and to believe his promises. It really honors him and it pleases him. Don't you feel pleased when somebody trusts you, when you're able to do something, but if they're always breathing down their neck and second-guessing you and just, you know, him and hawing and dragging their feet? And it's kind of a, an offense, isn't it? Well, he said, God goes through this all the time. And this is with believers. And this is people like you and me. Saying, would you just... Trust me. Now, you wouldn't have come this far in the Christian life if you hadn't been trusting him. See, this isn't like a brand new truth to you. So, a turning point. We're filled with the Holy Spirit by faith alone. I want to share with you this prayer in a minute. But I want to finish my story about me being on the porch. You see, God wants to do so many amazing things to set us free. To set us free, not only from sin, but the things that plague our heart. To heal us. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up their wounds, to set captives free. 
And in some ways, I'd been captive, held captive on that porch for years. Deeply wounded. So hard. My family, my brothers and sisters, I, I lived in two foster homes. My three younger sister, um, siblings were adopted. My youngest brother, Tim, was adopted by another family, and they moved all around the country. I hadn't seen my brother except for a couple times in 20-some years, 30 years. One day he came back. He'd been living in South Carolina, and he came back, and he stayed with Linda and I for a while, and I helped him get on his feet and get a job and everything. And he went with me to a Christian retreat up in um, uh, Wild Horse Canyon up in Central Oregon, the Young Life place. And my brother, you know, had it, yeah, he was interested. You know, he'd come to the church and so forth. But I remember I was there praying on a bench. And I could see my brother off in the distance walking toward me. I could see him. I could tell it was my brother. You know, there's something about brothers. They all walk alike and talk alike and smell alike, you know. And it was my brother. That was my brother. Way off in the distance, I couldn't even see his face. But I could tell by the way he walked that that was him. And as he was coming toward me, and I'd been praying, and the Lord said, See, I've given you back your brother. And as he came toward me, closer and closer, the Lord said, See, I was with you on that porch. And you were not being cruel to your little brother. You were just a boy trying to carry a burden that not even a grown man could carry. And I was with you on that porch. And then he said, I am. I am. I am with you on that porch. Because he took me back to the porch. You see, the healing balm It's in the wound. He came to heal the brokenhearted, bind up their wounds, and set captives free. And so he took me back to the porch to show me that it was just his presence alone was with me. Even though I didn't know him, he knew me. And there was just something about knowing that he was with me. And now that he's in me, and I was just, you know, I was a mess when my brother showed up. And he, thought, he knew I was crazy, but now he had positive proof. What in the world is the matter with you? But that was so healing. That was so healing. So the question is, if that's what he came to do, to heal the brokenhearted and bind up our wounds and set the captives free by his spirit who lives within us, Doesn't it make sense to say, okay, I'm yours. I'm not mine. I've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus. I belong to you. Fill me. Satisfy me. So that's what I want to ask you about. If that's where you are, if, that's, if you're ready for that, just in a, just a quiet moment, just read this prayer through. And there's nothing magical about the prayer. Sometimes words can get in the way of a good prayer, I think. But, but the words mean something. And if this means what you mean, 
only if it means what you mean. I just encourage you, let's just quietly just bow and present our hearts to the Lord and say, God, this is what I need. I need you. So if this prayer does express the desire of your heart, and if you pray this right now, you can trust God. He's trustworthy to fill you, to empower you, to heal you, to help you, to show you whatever it is you need to need, need to see or whatever you need to hear. But right now we have Tom and the worship team and to lead us in worship, and I think it's only appropriate that we respond with worship from our hearts. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.